How happy is the blameless Vestal's lot, the world forgetting by the world forgot, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. We watched eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. We are the film fellas. We watch random movies that you love, hate, or have never heard of, and then we talk about them. I'm Greg, and I have more than two problems. I'm Nick, and at In-N-Out, I order my burgers protein style. I'm Caleb, and I have only one, one item from that game with the claw, and it was a webcam in 2003. (laughs) I'm Robbie, and my favorite poet is Emily Dickinson. Let's get into it! Welcome, everybody. Like I said, we are the Film Fellas. This week, we watched my pick, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind from 2004. It was directed by Michelle Gondry and written by Charlie Kaufman. I remember watching this when it first came out and really loving it. I really just wanted to have the fellas experience it with me. So let's start off with our one-sentence summary. This week, the order will be Robbie, Greg, Nick, Caleb. Take a bit of a mind trip through your dreams and through your memories in order to erase someone and find out you really want to be with them forever. Very nice. My one sentence summary is the Hulk with the help from Frodo and Mary Jane Watson helped the Riddler forget Rose from Titanic. (laughs) 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 No joke. I was like, originally my one sentence summary was going to be that this all takes place when Jim Carrey's Riddler is like plugging his brain into that, uh, that mind box. <laughs> Batman forever. <laughs> so my one sentence summary is, have you ever wanted to be really high, but you don't want to do drugs? Watch this movie. <laughs> True, this is, this is a gateway drug to gateway drugs. My one sentence summary, I'm just going to keep it simple this week. It is, a man reflects on his relationship as it ends before his very eyes. Very nice. Nice. Good job, fellas. (laughs) All right, let's get into the plot synopsis where we are going to go over the plot one by one and probably going to skip some stuff because it's hard to remember the stuff from memory and this is a dense film. But (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, we're going to attempt it. Spoilers ahead, people. Uh, This movie did come out in 2004, making it just about 16 years old. But I mean, if you haven't seen it yet, this is the part that you're going to want to skip. The synopsis timestamps will be in the description below. That made me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> made you feel old. <laughs> so the movie starts off on a train platform where we have Jim Carrey playing the anti-Jim Carrey. He's a very shy and reserved and introverted, muted character. And he's waiting for his training. He suddenly gets this urge to run off of his platform and go to another platform. And he's going to go to Montauk. He's just got the sudden urge to go to Montauk. And while on the beach there, he sees this woman off in the distance in a bright orange sweatshirt. And he's like, oh, man, why can't I meet women? I'm so afraid to look at them. Whatever. He gets on the train home. And on the train is that same woman. And she strikes up a conversation with him. And he's very reserved. And she's just very outgoing and uh, kind of flirtatious, and they kind of strike up this, strike up this rapport, fellas. So they end up going on a date to uh, a place. I don't know the name of it anymore. Anyway, it's basically like a sheet of ice, and they go lay down. They look at the stars. 
Clementine, the girl he meets, says, hey, what constellations do you know? And Jim Carrey or Joel says, I don't know any. And then he goes, oh, so that's Orion. Or he pulls out. I don't I didn't write it down. He pulls out someone that no one would know besides like Big Dipper or some minor. He pulls out one from his butt and is like, hey, look, there's that one. So he totally misled her. Anyway, the swoop they, and cross. The swoop, right there. swoop oh. and cross. <laughs> anyway, he gets in his car. They, uh, he drives her home. It was a nice date. She wakes up and decides, hey, um, can I go over to your place to sleep? And she goes, um, and he, go, he hesitates, but goes, sure, because it's really weird. And she's very wishy-washy and offbeat. Anyway, she goes to get her toothbrush. Elijah Wood comes out of nowhere and taps on the window. He's like, hey. Uh, why are you here? And uh, Joel just can I help you? And then, flash to a lot later in life, fellas. So that is where spoilers. (laughs) So that is actually where the opening credits start, and we see Joel. He's very sad. He's driving home to his apartment, and he gets this mysterious package in the mail. He gets like some silk pajamas, I think, and a special pill. And there's some folks waiting outside with maybe nefarious intent, who knows? And he goes into his room and he puts on the the pajamas and he takes the pill and he just passes out right on the floor. And then we flash back and find that Joel and Clementine have already broken up and Joel went over to where Clementine works at the Barnes and Noble to try and patch things up, but she doesn't even remember him. She's going out with this guy, Patrick or someone, someone, and he can't figure out why, but Clementine just ignores him. It's like he doesn't even know her anymore or she doesn't know him anymore. And he doesn't know anything anymore. No one knows anything except (laughs) that Joel finds through some sort of rigmarole that, Clementine. Oh yeah, was that was that David Cross? Or David Cross? Yeah, and David Cross. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so Joel's friend David Cross discovers that Clementine has had her entire memory of Joel erased, and so Joel goes to the special clinic where that gets done, fellas. So Joel's upset, and he goes to this place, and he's like, "What happened?" Uh, goes up to the goes up to the receptionist, and goes. What happened? What is this place? And she's like, oh, well, if you'd like, I can make you an appointment. And he's like, no, I want to see her. And she's like, it, just fill out this paperwork. So apparently this is something that's not exactly uncommon to happen. So he goes back there and barges into a, a meeting with a doctor and says, doctor, what happened? Like, why did she erase her memories? And he's like, well, it is confidential. So I can't tell you what happened, but suffice to say, she wasn't happy anymore and she was ready to move on. And then he's all upset and he's like, well, you know, there's a way to get around that. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to erase her from my memory because she erased me from my memory and this is going to make it better. And then you realize that it's just a few minutes later and maybe getting knocked out was part of it. So he has to gather all of his stuff together so that he can figure out all of his memories so that they can individually erase each one and clear his memory. Fellas. So he's told to go home and collect any photograph, trinket, any kind of emotional memory uh, with Clementine. He grabs them all up and they catalog these items so that they can go in and remove the memories from his brain. So he takes the pill, like Caleb said, passes out. The technicians come in from Lacuna, who is the company that does this, put him into bed, hook him up to the system, and they start deleting his memory. And it starts with his trip to the doctor's office. 
he sees that and then things start to disappear and then it goes farther back in his memory where it starts to be the end of his relationship with Clementine where it's them just sitting in silence there's so much tension in the room but no one's saying anything them having fights and you know at the end of a relationship it's bad and while that's happening you see what's going on in Joel's apartment where Mark Ruffalo and Elijah Wood are doing the ceremony Elijah Wood admits that he took the stuff from when Clementine erased Joel and is using it to make Clementine fall in love with him, which is kind of sketchy. And he steals some of her panties. It's real gross. Mm -hmm. And then Kirsten Dunst comes over because she's kind of in a relationship with Mark Ruffalo and they keep erasing fellas. While Joel is being erased, going back to the people who are still on the upside, Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst start getting blazed and start drinking hard because they're here to party because Joel's just sitting there being zapped his brains out. And for some reason, Mary, Kristen Dunst, keeps talking about their boss. It's sort of weird. And then she quotes Nietzsche. Howard. Howard. <laughs> then we go back to Joel and he's still having these mind things and he hears that Pat. He can hear Pat let that Patrick stole Clementine's stuff. And he's starting to piece together that He's using everything that I took to get with her. And he's like, oh, yeah. Ooh, he's trying to figure out how to, like, stop or get out because he's like, hey, wait, this is trash. Why am I getting bullied from while I'm getting my memories erased? I can hear all this stuff. So he tries to wake himself up slowly as he's going through his own mindscape. Fellas. Joel keeps on finding Clementine in different memories, and each time he finds her, he keeps trying to whisk her away into a, another memory so that she doesn't get erased because he's starting to realize that, you know, he was pretty impulsive with his decision. He doesn't want Clementine to be erased. And together, the two of them come up with a plan. Joel is going to lucid dream the two of them into another memory that he did not tell the scientist people or the, the brain wiping people. And it kind of works until Mark Ruffalo calls in his boss, Howard, who is woken up early in the morning and is like, oh, well, uh, some sort of problem going on. And so he goes down uh, into Joel's apartment and he sets him right. And so now the brain wipers are able to track Joel no matter what memory he's going through. And he just can't escape fellas. So at this point, Joel is frantic. He, he understands and realizes that as he's looking back through his memories, these most recent things aren't why he was drawn to her in the first place, that they're problems that they could either work out or maybe have another chance. But either way, these memories he had of when he was truly happy, even though he's no longer happy, are still important to him. And so he's panicking and he's like, no, this can't happen. Like, I want to stay with you. And so they go through all these memories, but they keep getting hunted down and... He's just about to lose everything. And there's this repeating thing where they keep going to this beach. He's like, no, we can't be here. And he keeps pulling her away, but ends up them going there anyway. That was the first place that they had ever met or had talked to each other. And so that's why it was such a precious thing to him because he knows once that's gone, he's going to lose her. So then we cut back to the people at the house and Mark Ruffalo took off to go back home because he's high and wants to sleep it off. And the doctor is there with the receptionist, Kirsten Dunst. And she's sitting there and she's like, I really like how you work and I'm happy to be around you. And she's flirting with him. He's like, no, 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 this isn't going to work. Trust me. Trust me. This isn't going to work. And then his the doctor's wife pulls up outside because he thinks that she he's off cheating on her. And she he looks through the window where he's holding her face, being like, we can't do this together. And Mark Ruffalo's trying to, like, save him by honking the horn, being like, stop. And then she runs outside and goes, look, I'm sorry. It, you know, it's all my fault. I was coming on to him. And the wife is like, oh, honey, 
and looks over at the doctor and is like, are you going to tell her or am I going to tell her? And she already had him. So apparently she was having an affair with him. And then he forced her to erase her own memories of it. But he says, oh, you wanted to do it. So she races back to the office and digs through a paperwork and finds her tape and listens to it. And what do you know? She doesn't want to do it. Fellas. Hmm? I don't think so. Doesn't want to do what? Erasing her memory. No, she, she wanted to, but well, she just, she forgot she was coerced. about it. Yeah, but she no, was coerced. Debatable. <clears throat> Mary did want to have the procedure done. So more and more of Joel and Clementine's relationship is getting erased. He goes through from the, the negative ending, like I said, backwards to the part where it's starting to fade away, backwards to where they were in deep infatuation and love and they had this great connection, back to where they first met and they, he first fell in love with her. And he has spent all this time trying to hide her away in different parts of his memory so that he won't forget her. And so they're at the beach house where they met and they're like, this is the last memory. What are we going to do? Well, we just have to try to remember it. Maybe come try to find me. Let's try to find each other again. Maybe we can trick the system. Maybe we can make this happen. Just remember, find me in Montag. He wakes up and he's in the pajamas and it's like the beginning of the movie because it turns out the beginning of the movie was actually the end of the movie. Uh He's outside and his car is crashed. He's like, what happened to my car? That happened earlier in the movie. He goes, he gets on the train to go to work, but suddenly he's pulled towards something tells him to go to Montauk. He goes to Montauk and we meet Clementine on the train. They have their relationship while this is happening. Kirsten Dunst has gone back to Lacuna, grabbed the records of everyone who has erased anybody and mails them off their tapes where they say why they want to erase these people because she feels that she initially really liked the idea of people being able to start over, but since she found that it happened to her, she's like, ah, people need to know the truth. And we go to the beginning. Clementine is grabbing her toothbrush because she's going to go hang out with Joel at his place. And she gets the mail and she grabs the package from Laguna and says, you don't know me, but you have had your memory erased at Lacuna." And she puts in the tape in Joel's car as they're driving. Bella's. And then it starts going off of how it's her pre-interview about why she wants to get a memory of Joel raced. And she's just bashing on Joel, all the bad things she doesn't like about him. So Joel decides to pull over the car out and has her get out. Cause he's like, you're punking me. Cause he has no recollection of her beforehand. Clementine ends up going back. Elijah Wood starts trying to be like, I love you. So he's like, get, get out of here. It's, it's bullshit. It's get out of here. Frodo kicks his <sighs> hobbit butt onto the, onto the pavement. <laughs> She ends up going and she kicks his ass back to the Shire. Dang straight. <laughs> she somehow remembers Joel's address and is able to go to the apartment complex. And like there was a week span where they broke up. But so Joel never told all his friends. So one of his friends at the his apartment complex lets her in. She goes into his apartment and Joel's sitting there listening to his tape. And he's just degrading her. All the things that like in the end of the relationship that like ruined it for them she can hear all the like thoughts that he had about her. Like she wasn't emotional during sex. She would force it. She, she's like undereducated all this, like really degrading stuff. Like she will only fuck people in order to get them to like her. And that was like the big straw where the relationship died. So they go onto the hallway. Clementine's like, I need to leave. And Joel, his subconscious pulls him out into the hallway to confront her. Like, Hey, can you wait a second? And her subconscious Decides, yeah. And they look at each other, start laughing, and that's the end of the movie. Yay! Yay! Good job. 
I would like to start with everyone's initial reactions to the movie. I really like this movie. Ooh, <laughs> it's like Inception, but like For relationships, <laughs> relationships, and just like you can see the highs and lows throughout the entire thing. It was really cool to see like how the relationship ended up in the end, but also like you see it in reverse. Also, Jim Carrey, that man can get it when he's not doing comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, good actor. Who knew? Yeah. I was very, very happy with his performance. It was awesome. And I was very shocked because I didn't have any idea what this was. So when we first, when I first booted it up and I was like, oh, it's Jim Carrey. I was like, well, it's going to be some sort of comedy. Nope. I was very pleasantly surprised. And his performance is amazing in this. Everyone's performances were great. But my first reaction to this was very much like, I love horror films. I love dark story tales and sci-fi when it gets into some of the more moral implications of it, of a dystopian sort of future, especially when it played out well. I like the undertone here of that this is like supposedly a near future where these things can happen and how that plays out with the people realizing how it's bad and fixing it. So I like that type of story. So I was very entertained. Caleb? Well, first of all, leave it to Robbie to put it like, oh, I like it because it's real dark. Um, (laughs) To your credit, Robbie... This does seem like an episode of Black Mirror, but this is one of those episodes that make you like less depressed at the end of it, I think. Yeah, it's got a nice hopeful ending. Yeah, I also really like this movie. The part that we left out in the synopsis is the very end where not that the rest of the movie does not have merit. It certainly does, but it pulls it together in the end in just like a minute. Like the, yeah. there's like six seconds of denouement or something before the credits roll, but just the very end of it where they've been that hallway and they're both saying things like, we know that if we get together, it's not going to work out because I'm going to think this about you and you're going to think this about me and we're not going to be happy. Or, you know, we might never be happy because we already know that it's going to happen. And then Clementine looks at him and she says, okay and joel says okay and they decide to get together anyway and it's really beautiful because i mean let's try it if we have this connection let's see what happens that's love folks love ain't easy yeah and it goes back to a big through line through a lot of this is impulse and the impulsiveness of making those type of decisions especially something so permanent and it, I don't think that it's a, an accident that it draws a lot of conclusions of like of going too far, of crossing a boundary that you can't go back on and relating it to things we have now. This is like when you set those bridges on fire, not just burning your bridges, like exploding them completely and getting rid of them and how you shouldn't be able to just do that on a whim, that type of thing, or where it's like a weighty decision. Whereas in this feature for almost any reason, as little as we see a lady holding a box of dog toys because she's going to get rid of her because, you know, she wants to erase all of her memories of her probably dead dog. Oh, so sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's good little nonverbal storytelling and just a little set decorations, the props, everything like that. Mm -hmm. Fellas, I would like to discuss the light topic of destiny. Do you believe that certain people are destined to be together no matter what? It seems that this movie is positing that Joel and Clementine are destined to be together 
even though they've erased each other, they're still connected to each other. They're still like, let's meet up and let's still go through this. What are your guys' thoughts on that? In real life or in, in movie life? Either one. Um, okay. I think that within the context of this story, since we don't know specifically what led Clementine to erase her memory of Joel, even though it might have been Patrick. It's just sort of my premonition, but I mean, I might be wrong about that. I think, I think it was said that because she's just impulsive, mm-hmm. she was like, I don't like feeling bad about this. Oh, hey, I can get rid of this without, yeah. thinking, you know, without having to go through too much catharsis, you know, I can, yeah. I can just make it end. Mm-hmm. So because it wasn't thought out, it seems like the first time that this has happened for the company where like someone who works for them is involved with one of their clients and they're doing a mind wipe for both clients and things get tricky. And like the logistics of that, it's a lot more likely that they're going to meet up. There definitely is something to be said about maybe destiny, but I think that within the context of this movie, not necessarily, I think there's a lot of factors that line up that just makes the chances of them to meet up a lot more likely because the whole reason that Joel is able to like lucid dream and try and escape the mind wipe is because Patrick and Mark Ruffalo, what's Mark Ruffalo's character's name? Stan. I'll just, that Elijah Wood and Stan are sort of messing around while they're doing the procedure. And so they're not like being very careful. And so he's still sort of awake and so I think that that just increases the chances that they would meet up. There's just too many close calls, you know? Hmm. See, I never saw it as they were screwing around so he could do that. I thought it was just he had these such strong memories and ideas. Like when it first starts to erase one of the positive memories, he's like, oh, shit, I don't want this. And yeah, they're not paying attention, so they're not. But I mean, like you said, the program kind of goes on autopilot anyways. You're just supposed to keep an eye on it in case something goes wrong. Yeah, that is true. So whenever they do a procedure, the person who is asleep can hear what's going on? Well, ultimately, as long as they don't escape, this is one of those things where it goes into that darker territory that I was going to bring up because <laughs> there's a couple stories that bring this type of thing up where it doesn't matter if everyone does or not. Like you could be screaming and yelling while trapped in there and you'll forget all about it once the procedure is over anyway. So goodness. Wow. (laughs) I mean, you do have that a little, like there's the, in one memory where Joel loses Clementine, he drops to his knees and like, stop, I don't want this anymore. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. But I imagine everyone goes through that because that's the nature of relationships. You hate it at the end when it's bad, but you forget about the positives that brought you together and kept you in that relationship to begin with. Nick, what are your thoughts on destiny? I don't really subscribe to the idea of destiny because there's too many variables in the world that I highly doubt that anything is really actually planned out. Like, look at this pandemic. I don't think this was planned. Maybe it was. That's some tin foil stuff. But as far as, <laughs> <laughs> as far as with Joel and Clementine, I don't think them re-meeting was destiny because he totally inceptioned himself while having the subconscious of Clementine during the whole Mindscape talk to him. 
he was hyping himself up to go and try to find her after this whole experience. But how did she know to go there? I'm assuming she went through the similar experience Mm -hmm. while going through it because again, she went off impulse. So Mm -hmm. she probably regretted it immediately. Like more so than Joel did. Oh, erasing Joel. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think for my perspective, as far as like the, the destiny thing goes, it could be, I mean, the movie definitely seems to be leaning in that direction with kind of the writing and how it's kind of paced, but I think it kind of undercuts it a bit because, and for, for the best, I think, because when it comes to redoing their relationship at the very end, that part that Caleb was talking about, which is a great scene, and they're in that hallway and they're talking to each other, basically the issue is like, hey, you know, we know that this is going to happen and even if it does happen, that's okay. We can move forward with it. They're making a informed decision based on the experience they had. Had they not had this, let's say they never went to get their mind wiped. All we would have is just a normal breakup. They probably wouldn't have talked to each other again. They both would have moved on, which is in the end, I think what the movie is also trying to hammer in is that trying to just completely destroy any connection you have with another person only ends up hurting you and stopping you from having that catharsis that you need. Well, that's a good question. Do you think they would have gotten back together? Because Joel says, I wanted to make amends. So I was the one who called her. She changed her number. I went and got her this piece of jewelry that she would love, which she says later in the movie, like, this is exactly <laughs> me. But she had already had the, the procedure at that point. Do you think that that might have helped mend the relationship? Maybe they could have Absolutely. worked it out. Or would it still have just ended in tragedy? I think that basically it is shown at, through you know, their memories, they've had lots of fights before. And the important part is that this was an impulse. This wasn't like something they'd really been building up to because he, you know, he was like, oh, I didn't think that she would go and do this. So the question is, it's like, because she was still kind of upset over the last most recent fight that they had, was this what pushed over the edge? And a lot of relationships will have ups and downs. Sometimes it's healthier for a relationship, especially if there's, um, like emotional trauma or something with the relationship to just cut it and to leave it be. But in this situation, seeing it from at least Joel's perspective, it doesn't seem like the relationship's toxic so much as just it's on the rocks. They're having problems with each other and then, and they're working it out. And that seems to be a natural curve. It's just, what would you do if during one of those low points, you had a button that you could hit that would instantly erase everything. And I think that's the real key part of it. So I think it's less the destiny and more the, do we really want the power to be able to erase our own memories? I think that they would have gotten back together because Joel was making an effort and most relationships that die, neither of them want to make an effort. And yeah, I think that might be what caused the problem in the first place because she would go out and drink to numb herself. He would just kind of close off and not talk to her. He would maybe just make snide comments at her and that's, that doesn't breed a healthy relationship and healthy communication, you know? Because, like, just talking constantly is not communication. Yeah. <laughs> As Joel said. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, fellas, what would you erase if you could? And I was like, oh, that's going to get too real. I'm not going to ask I was that. like, <laughs> <laughs> let's... Uh... My casino oh. editing. <laughs> I'm going to go with Nick's casino editing. <laughs> we all forget about that one. If I had one, I'd have to go with um, Nick's casino editing. Yeah. You know, that casino editing, that would be for me too. I think we can all agree to just 
erase that from our minds. I actually had a really mean one in mind, but I won't tell anyone. That one, that one goes to the grave. Oh no! It's not now about. We're the, all gonna worry, but it's us. It's not about the the four of us. Oh, that's good. I just have a little quick little throw in there. I got hooked on this movie immediately when Joel said, "Why do I fall in love with every woman I see who shows me the slightest bit of attraction?" Mm-hmm. Man, I relate to that. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>. oh, <laughs> Nikki boy, starts so sad and melancholy and lonely. Yeah. Really yeah. makes you think it's going to be a real introspective, dialogue light kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like remember, this was and... written by Charlie Kaufman, the same yeah. guy who wrote being John Malkovich. I know. Which, uh... <laughs> Was not intentional, actually. I just I, both, I like both of those movies, and I happened to pick them. Well, they um, definitely have some stylistic similarities. Yeah. yeah, best writing. Yeah, there's a lot of connections. One of the ones I wanted to bring up, a uh, kind of a motif that I remember from both movies, is the idea of humiliation and specifically being caught masturbating when you're a teenager. <laughs> like that's in both John Malkovich and Joel's memories. Wait, when's when is it in? I. <laughs> I, I shudder to ask, but I forget what it is in being John Malkovich. It's when John Malkovich is going through his own head and it's like those trippy, he goes through the door and suddenly he's coming up through the floor and uh, remember that sequence? Yeah, nope, still don't quite remember that. He's being chased by Lottie and Maxine. Oh, yeah, never mind. Yeah, I'm, now I remember the sequence. Okay. Anyways. It's interesting to see how Charlie Kaufman works through his own like anxieties and stuff through these movies. And you can really, if you watch a bunch of them, you can really see like what he's working through from his past and works through into these stories that are generally kind of surreal, but surreal, very grounded, sure. like human mm-hmm. dramas, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, well, this one is a bit different from being John Malkovich because being John Malkovich starts in a world that's weird. And then it takes a left turn into weirder weirdsville. And then it keeps going. But this movie sort of starts in... Do we know what city it starts in? It's in New York, I think. Okay. Well, I, I mean, that doesn't Island, matter. But it's, they're in New York State. I know mm-hmm. that. This movie starts in a snowy, cozy little setting where everything seems normal. But it's just the one difference is that people can have their memories erased. It was interesting. You guys were talking about how... Destiny is probably not a thing because they would have ran into each other. And after having seen this a bunch of times, I was like, yeah, they still live in the same city. They're bound to run into each other. They probably live close to each other. They probably <laughs> still go to the same establishments. Mm-hmm. No, no, I nothing don't... about this checks out at all. Also, they have like, <laughs> friends too. So like at one point, exactly. Because, were... okay. So they say they send a thing out to everyone they knew mm-hmm. that says, don't bring up Joel. Mm-hmm. Be but more like, complete about that. <laughs> sometimes I get mail and I'm just like, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> well, it was earlier. It was before, before the days of uh, normalized email. So, you know, you get mail, you're a little bit more inclined to read it. Back when cars had cassette players. Yes. <laughs> Those good old days. Um, well, also, Joel forgot a bit of Clementine memorabilia at work. There was a drawing that he drew of her, right? Yeah, at his house. Yeah. Oh, yeah, at his house. Which he either intentionally stashed or forgot. That one seemed pretty important because it was yeah. like that detailed, beautiful drawing. I feel like he might have broken the rules and kept it for himself. Yeah. Or 
maybe Patrick accidentally left it there when he was rifling through his bag of Clementine memories. I did not think of that because I I was definitely thinking it was like the first part that you were saying where it was like, oh, well, you know, maybe he was having doubts before he went because this was also an impulse, just like with hers, because he's like, she raced me. I'm going to go race her. So it's, it's not something that he really planned for. So if you're, if he wasn't entirely like set on it, maybe he'd be like, you know what? I'll just put this here just in case. But no, it, it could very well have been Patrick just being stupid and dropping it when he went to go rifle through his stuff. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. What was everyone's favorite memory? Ah, Could be I... one that was real part of their relationship or one that they invaded when they were trying to hide. What was everyone's favorite? be a good excuse to talk about the cool memories mm-hmm. which is most of the movie i don't want to cheat but i i can't pick between two the first one is when he's eating um chinese takeout and talking to clementine while she's on the couch and mm-hmm. there's a tv there and mm-hmm. the tv's like not old but like almost a little grainier than the rest of the thing but it's copying his movements while he's behind it like yeah. it, it blocks off his like chest area and his takeout box but you can see it through the tv I, did, I thought yeah, that was it's like, like mid erasure. And he's yeah. like, what is this? It was such like a cool like effect. And I was like, Hey, I enjoy yeah. that. And then we didn't talk about this during the summary, but when he's getting bullied and he has to take a hammer to a pigeon in a, in a wagon. Mm. Yeah. It's like a little kid, like four or five. Mm-hmm. It's like a, like a moment of trauma and just the intensity of it, even like for a child. Yeah. And Jim Carrey plays that part as a child so well. Because it shows the little kid doing it and also cuts to him dressed as the kid doing it and acting out and just the tears, the shame, the humiliation of having to do that. <laughs> like Clementine takes him away and everyone's like, ooh, you have a girlfriend. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm not scared of you anymore. I'm an adult. And the kid grabs him, twists his arm, and he's like, ah. <laughs> Because he's still a child in that memory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was great. Mine is probably... Okay, so before I do this, because the cool factor was there, if it's what I think it was, but even if it wasn't, it was still a pretty funny scene, is the four-year-old under the table scene. Mm-hmm. Specifically in that, was that CGI or green screen, or was that actually nope. forced perspective? I was going to ask. Forced perspective. Yes, it was the photo thing. I loved thing. it. <laughs> yeah, it was, yep. Elijah Wood is like, let me show you how to do it. I remember. <laughs> yes. Yeah. great. You can search for behind the scenes for this. And he's like, check it out. In front of the table, I'm real big. And then I run over here and now I'm real small. That was great. And when I saw it, I was like, I really hope this is real effects because I am I am loving it right now. So I'm very Most happy. Most of but, the effects in this ah, movie so are practical with a little bit of CG just to kind of help stitch everything together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yes, that part is super good. I love Clementine's like, oh man, check out this dress. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Can I take it with me when I leave? And Joel is like, trying to hide but he's also got this four-year-old perspective he's like i want her to pick me up the desire is so strong he's like i want ice cream (laughs) he's like no we're trying to hide from the guys and he's like mommy mommy she's like okay this is gonna be weird (laughs) well no like clementine was his neighbor like babysitter yeah yeah or something like that his mom was like also in the room yeah i like how he was um the, before they went into that scene, they're like, he's, she's like, look, this is the time when you were like enticed by my crotch and you wanted to have sex on the couch. And then she shows four-year-old Joel that. He goes, ew, gross. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hmm. I gotta say, 
my favorite memory, and this sort of goes with what Nick was saying with the TV perspective thing, that I think as the memories go along and Joel becomes more and more aware of what's happening, the erasures become more obvious. Yeah. So that like when they're in the drive-in movie theater or they're parked right outside of it, stuff just sort of gets deleted as they go along. But at the first, it's very subtle. And so one of my favorite ways that they exemplified this was there's this memory where Clementine and Joel are, uh, they're talking under the sheets and they're having this really deep conversation. And then it quick cuts and Joel is like army crawling under the sheets and he doesn't remember why he's there and Clementine's gone. And it's just a really like, oh, dang. And, uh, and I think that was my favorite bit. But there are a ton of really unique, very creative edits and shots to exemplify all of these memories and they're stitched together just beautifully. I mean, yeah, I love when the erasure is so far along and it starts affecting memories in weird ways. Like when they're on the couch and they're like, well, we got to hide somewhere maybe farther back. And he has this memory of him as a little kid playing in rain and suddenly starts raining in the apartment or he's in bed and there's sand from the beach around that just kind of invaded it because all these memories are kind of getting mashed together and warped a lot of cool stuff like like that in this movie yeah and like he's picturing that bit when it rains and so he like crawls under the table and they replace the table with the roof that he had at his old house when he was a kid yeah like a corrugated super cool yeah yeah that was awesome and then, like, as his, uh, in the scene where he's riding the bike away from the house, he sees the house dilapidated as it is now because it's been so long since, you know, it was the old family home. And now it's just been, you know, painted over and dilapidated, but it slowly does it, like, from the top to the side. And every time the camera cuts back, it gets a little worse, a little worse, until when he's ready to leave, it's just boarded up and falling apart. Very powerful editing. It was really cool. That's my favorite part of the entire movie is just the different transitions and how crazy they get as it goes like towards the end where everything starts becoming the beach slowly like he'll wake up in his bed there's sand everywhere clementine's gone he's in a car with his wife at the time when he first met clem and he's in the back seat listening to their conversation and he's just covered in sand the woman he's living with i don't think they were actually yeah. married but uh naomi or naomi yeah. naomi yeah. yeah yeah this yeah i like there's a lot of cool in camera effects that are happening, not just kind of things like forced perspective, but there's the scene where he's remembering one of their fights and they're walking through the apartment and like she goes into the bathroom and he walks into the bathroom and she's gone suddenly and he turns around and there she is walking out the front door. That's done with like trick walls and moves and stuff just hidden right outside the camera. So it's like she went through the wall, he turned around, she showed up right next to the door. There's a lot of great things where, yeah, like I said, trick walls or like body doubles and that kind of thing. So it's not CGI or stitched together takes. It's just practical in-camera kind of trickery that really makes the what the hell is going on here factor work. Yeah. Ah, it's so like, amazing. Everyone starts losing their faces or when they're having a conversation in the bookstore, in one shot, you can see all the books. And in the next shot, every book is turned backwards. As to the show, yeah. like, he can't remember. They're getting gray and losing their titles and everything, yeah. And they allude to that a lot earlier when we're just finding out that like maybe Joel and Clementine have been together already. He goes to David Cross to like discover that she had her mind erased, but they transition from the scene where Joel goes to see Clementine at Barnes and Noble 
where she works and she doesn't recognize him. She doesn't remember who he is. And then like he's sort of distraught. And so he walks through this doorway in the Barnes and Noble and all of a sudden the doorway is David Cross's house. And I was like, whoa, where was that transition? Where was that cut? And there's a lot of that, but it sort of keeps that tonal synergy through the whole movie. I like how this movie actually, not actually, but this movie cuts in a lot of comedy along with like the very intense overarching plot. Like right in the beginning, one of my favorite things is Joel's on the beach and he goes, sand is overrated. <laughs> it's coarse and rough and irritating. It gets everywhere, Nick. Oh, yeah. Is, is that what yeah. you're talking about? Uh, Robbie had mentioned that it's a very serious film, but there, he expected because it was Jim Carrey that it was going to be funny, but it's not. But there are still some really funny parts in this movie. Yeah. yeah he still gets to work in some of his isms. I was so expecting it to be that it amplified the parts that weren't, I think, because I was just like, wow, I've never. S-. I mean, maybe he does a lot of them, but all the Jim Carrey stuff I've seen have been comedies. So I was very taken aback. He's got some other things. I did like where they gave him like times to shine with his physical comedy. Like when he's trying to open his eyes for the first time and he's just on the ground, um, just like opening his eyes with his hands, just, is this going to work? Can I wake up? Yeah. Or, um, <laughs> and then it kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and especially like, oh. the four-year-old under the table, just his like, pick me up, help me. Yeah. <laughs> They've done a lot of workshopping before this. Like they had Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet meet and talk about their relationships and really get this connection. And they used like their stories and Michelle Gondry, the director's stories and kind of peppered those into Charlie Kaufman's script so that it was really a lot more personal and real. So it really helped the characters connect and really make this story, really make the story personal and connected and fleshed out. Yeah. Greg, I had a quick thing I wanted to say about, uh, about Jim Carrey's face as a quick aside. I and now thinking about it, I don't know why they they thought that Jim Carrey would be good for the Riddler when it's such a layup to have him be Basil Carlo so he can be Clayface, man. This man has such a bendable face anyway, you would like barely have to use any prosthesis as he like is in his transitionary yeah. period. Yeah, and he already did that in the mask. Just Yeah, I know. Take it to the next step. It's such a <laughs> such a layup to a slam dunk, but I don't know anyway. <laughs> so you're saying that they did like uh chemistry tests between the two not even chemistry tests just they kind of worked through like past relationships together and really just got to know each other and connect because you kind of have to do that kind of thing you have to do a chemistry test to begin with but it was more about tweaking the script so that it was personal to them so that they could get Mm -hmm. the best performance and the best kind of reactions and everything out of them well their performances were amazing so whatever it did it worked yeah I, i definitely agree I think that all the work paid off in this because when you get to that last scene where they're erasing the last memory um, and you're like, oh man, this is it. She's going to be gone from his mind. You really do not want it to happen and neither do the characters. And even though you haven't seen their relationship develop, you've seen it devolve. You still feel as if you've spent that valuable time with them. And I think it really comes through when it's about to be gone. Yeah, it's interesting having gone backwards. Most recently in our minds are the most positive things that drew them together. So you still are like, oh, I want these characters together. I love that part because they had got broken into the house and he leaves. And she's like, what if you stayed this time? 
And he does. He kind of stays and just waits for the memory to finish being wiped. And it's really cute Mm -hmm. scene as their world ends. It reminds me a lot of, because it's, you know, it's a similar pot conceit of the last five years where you have the story from his perspective going backward and he's slowly becoming more and more in love with her because, you know, it's going back in time to when they were still doing well. And so Joel is going through a very similar kind of pathway where he's, but instead of not, you know, going back physically in time so that he doesn't have those memories of the future, he's doing it with the wherewithal of what happens in, in the future, which is why I think it takes kind of a turn because he's able to take into consideration the present and the future and everything that he's seen. And he also knows, because like the doctor in his dream tells him like, I'm a figment of your imagination. This is all you, buddy. Like all this is going on inside your head and she's not actually here making anything. So all of this is of course, from his perspective, but he's confronting his own thoughts on these people and realizing how flawed they are and how even from his own perspective, he's been lying to himself recently. And by closing himself off, all he's done is make it so he can't understand. So when all these things happen where it's like he can't make out the details and things and he wants to, like he wants to turn around the guy at the at the Barnes Noble and see his face, but he can't because he never actually saw it. And so he's yeah, frustrated. You can't remember what you never saw. Yeah. That was another so, real cool effect when like he keeps flipping him around just to see like the back of his head again. Mm-hmm. But how was that done? Greg, uh, you they were just on him and then they just sped up between the back of the head turns. Uh, so it was okay. like a like a time remapping kind of thing. That is one of those uh, things gotcha. that you really like you feel that because like it feels like you had a dream where that happened. Like you're like, mm, I can't remember that person's face. And yeah. that is definitely one of those like visualizations of thought, which is a very difficult thing to do in a movie medium. But it's yeah. so powerful when you get it right. <laughs> And- I really like, like Robbie said, he keeps trying to go back to the doctor to ask questions, knowing he's in the midst of the eraser <laughs> happening. He's like, I need, I want answers. And he's like, I'm a figment of your imagination. I only know as much as you do. So that's a good example of him working it out within his own head instead of just kind of ignoring like Robbie was saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because one of the big things, the difference between him at the end of his relationship in real life and the end of the movie where he's in real life again is that he's willing to break down that wall because although in the dream he chases after her or not the dream, but in his memory, he chases after her to go track her down. In reality, the reason why he can't, you know, he can't realize where everything's going is because he didn't, he was closed off. He was sheltered himself off from her and didn't want to have communication. That's what he does. But by the end, he goes outside and goes, no, stop, stop, please. Let's give it another go let's give it another chance. And she's like, you know, this is going to end in pain. He's like, yeah, so let's try it and let's see. He's making a risk that he didn't take when he didn't stay with her that night on the beach, which he always blamed himself for. And so yeah, he's even taking before that, that when they're on the train, she keeps saying like, hi. And he's like, excuse me. I was just saying hi. Oh, hi. Like, he's closed off. He's not really, yep. trying, but she keeps being like, I feel something here. There, There's this pull that I need to connect with you. Yeah, exactly. And then he finally, at the end, reciprocates. And that's what allows them to bond. Because well, she, actually, at the end, she was like... There was, a, there was a little bit before she meets him on the train. And, like, she's really forward. And then they hang out for a bit. And then, like, she gets sort of really forward, like, planning out life. Like, I'm, I'm going to marry, marry you. you. 
And he's like, <laughs> oh, okay, I got to go. And yeah. she gives him her number and then he gets home and he just decides to call her. So, I mean, there is that pull from the both of them. They both sort of, they feel it. Yeah, that's cute when he calls her immediately. She's like, what took you so long? It's like, mm-hmm. I just got home. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a real, like, uh, a deep breath moment for me because I was still uncertain of, like, what this movie was going to be. And I was like, oh, wow, she's she's really coming out of the gate strong. And he's like, <laughs> I got to go. And then he calls her like, oh, this is really cute. Did anyone catch, and probably not because it was everyone's first time, the beginning of the movie, you can tell it's the end because he still has the marker dot on his temple. From the procedure? I did not. At the beginning of the movie? Yeah, at the very beginning when it's actually the end of the story. Okay, yeah, I didn't quite I noticed that I was like, oh, that. hey, that's the dot. This is the end. <laughs> but I did, uh, like, as they were erasing one of the dots, I think Mark Ruffalo was erasing one of the dots and was like, oh, okay, yeah, that would explain why I didn't. They only erased the one yeah. that you see. So he has the other one on the other side. Mm-hmm. I pieced it together fairly quickly when he um, said there was a tear in the notebook and didn't notice he did that and also that he said in his journal thanks yeah. to the guy for hitting his car he thought it was his neighbor he like sideswiped him hella bad mm-hmm. but then like the first memory is about the last fight and clementine hits his car and he's like okay he would have obviously seen that and he also went and like tore out his notebook and i'm like wait that's a notebook where the pages go oh <laughs> i wasn't 100 though mm-hmm. so i got yeah. it only i like the 45 minute mark i was like Okay, so hundred percent the beginning is the end. But I was like, Oh yeah. Little hints and pieces that's here and there. Funny when he writes his note to the guy in the car next to him and says, Thank you. Just thank you. Mm-hmm. And that guy has no idea. So he's gonna come out to his car and be like, Thank you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I don't know what I did, but <laughs> he's just gonna, gonna make my some, day. <laughs> some do gooder came along and decided to deliver a thank you note to just him. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what I did. Ooh, I wanna do a little quick topic here. Maybe not quick, but I feel like this is a good movie to show someone with depression because no matter how hard it gets, like the relationship is like in such a bad turmoil point, there was always good to begin with and deleting it isn't going to help anything because you forget everything good as well. And there's always like more that you can experience later on. Like it, as he says, what if it just ends up bad? And he's like, okay. Don't definitely don't stop I, it. Yeah, I think the end of the movie is more about you need to work through what happened. You can't just forget it. You can't just numb yourself to it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not so much destiny like I had brought up. It's more about even if this goes bad, you still need to work through it. And I think that's what Kirsten Dunst was getting at when I mean, she was told that she had gone through the the treatment. She's like, well, that's not okay. I didn't get the chance to. I guess no one afterwards <laughs> thinks they had the chance because they didn't. They forgot, but she's like, that's not fair to everyone who did this. So I'm going to let them know. And because everyone needs to work through this, you know, mm-hmm. which shall we well, get into whether or not Kirsten Dunst was coerced or it was of her own volition? Because Robbie in the intro said one thing and we all seem to disagree with him. Yeah. State so, your case, Robbie. My case is wrong. Hold on. <laughs> <Got him. laughs> Hold on. Uh, 23 minutes before the end, she's in a, uh, she's in the office. Yep. You thought you had in the office. case. He had notes. (laughs) (laughs) She is digging through the the desk and she finds the tape and she puts it in. And at this point, you or you know, the audience is fully expecting she's going to hear herself say, you know, I'm ready to do this. 
just kind of like the tapes were at the end where they're like, no, I'm wanting this. But she stops partway through her speech and goes, Howard, I can't do this. And he goes, you know, it's for the best. That line is what makes me think that it was more coercion than her wanting to do it. Because she goes, Howard, I can't do this. And he goes, you know, we discussed it. He said it's for the best. Let's do it. And she's like, okay. So that would be my part where I think it's a little bit more coercion. She definitely did decide to go through with it, but it wasn't as clean cut as uh, like Clementine's or Joel's were. All right, fine. You Joel, was, <laughs> Joel was coerced into it too because Clementine did it. And he was like, oh, well, no, that's it was not an impulse. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And that, I don't, that, I guess you, the way you said it, it sounded more sinister. Yeah. You know? Oh, no. Like he gaslighted her or something into it. I think they had to have a conversation. And it is scary to get, because she talks about how I've loved you from afar forever. And it's mm-hmm. scary to get rid of something that's been with you for so long. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. So it's, I still think that it was definitely a, one of the problems is that she was pre- more pressured into it than not. And that's why she decided when she found out to break it, because Kayla brought up a very good point. This can't be the first time that this has happened in their entire background history of doing this. That somebody was- finds out and is like, wait a second. But because Mary didn't technically have that background of like, oh, yeah, I totally wanted to forget this. But it was like kind of coerced. She was like, well, fuck this. I'm going to tell everybody because none of the other people did. I was going to ask you, do you guys think that she only had that memory erased once or has this happened several times? Oh, yo, like 50 dates. That would be so dark and Robbie would love it. It's interesting because she's talking to someone on the phone earlier in the movie and she's like, we can't do it that many times in one month. Yeah, three times. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, come back at the first of the month. I wonder if that's some kind of foreshadowing to her having been through it several times or. Mm, Probably. I don't. Yeah, unfortunately. It was but, multiple times because there was only one file. And because she destroyed that office to find that file. She and did. Going back to if she was like forced or not, it was more just that was her only option if she wanted to get past it because she knew that. Oh, it's his for Howard wouldn't. Howie. Would not let himself reciprocate. Reciprocate. How do you say that word? Reciprocate. Reciprocate yep. the feelings properly because he keeps going back to i have a wife and children even though and apparently they did sleep together yeah but yep. he realized he he shouldn't or he can't yeah that's why he he was weak made her do that yeah and conversed about it yes i do think they it. definitely had a conversation and they both agreed and while she was doing the tape it's Again, she didn't have the part where she was at the end of a relationship and she wanted to get rid of the bad thoughts. She just knew that this was not good for both parties. And that's why I think she was a little hesitant. But it also goes back to she still ended up going back to him and kissing him. And I think it's because your brain needs to go through that kind of catharsis and working it out. It'll still draw you to that so that you can work out what you're feeling instead of just shutting it off. Also, I feel wait, that wait. everyone would have reservations and regrets about doing the procedure when they found out because you don't understand about how much someone means to you until you take them out completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, in, that it's interesting for the message of this movie, at least, when by doing this, by taking a shortcut, when she says like, oh, we can only do this three times a month, you can't do more. It's just policy, man. Um, means that this has been so common 
that people just are not addressing their issues, their traumas and their problems. They're instead choosing to forget them, which is a type of denial. And as someone that's going to go into the job field of uh, psychotherapy and CBT and on trying to address those psychological problems, this is the op- this is tamping it down and bottling it up so hard that it ceases to exist to you. But that doesn't cure the problem. All it does is stop you from having that issue. So if the problem is still there, like, for example, you're still working at the place with the boss who you fell in love with, you're probably going to go through that again because you get trapped in these cycles. And so I think it's also kind of a dark mirror to uh, like anxiety spirals and things where you like you tamp it down and you forget it, but then it comes back up again. I don't know. I I really like how it plays with that. And it's very similar to how it was in John Malkovich, where it kind of touched on some of those psychological or psychological like not demons, but the psychological problems that we all have and how we deal with them. Well, it's clear that this procedure doesn't work because everyone keeps connecting with that person Mm -hmm. that they are trying to erase. So I have to imagine that this is happening all over the city anyways. Just nobody went back to Lacuna to confront them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like if you get a tattoo from a tattoo artist who is like their first job, you know, you're going to have some some mess ups. If you really want to get your brain wiped, you got to wait like 20 years for the science to catch up. But for people who are going (laughs) to Because, yeah, if how are you going to erase your memory three times in a month? How would you know about the place? Because your memory would be wiped yep. because you went there to yeah, forget the thing. So that's part of your memory. So and like, uh, also yeah, there was some kind of special that ended at the beginning of the year. It was a promotional. <laughs> <laughs> this promotion has been is over. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's get two brain wipes, get your third free or something. And how do you oh, advertise yeah. <laughs> this or else it ruins the whole like newspaper, I guess the whole thing though, like it's out there, like people can find it and they'll like realize someone's like acting stranger yeah. than usual. But that's the kind of thing you don't really look at the practicality of the psychological story and the journey that Joel is going on. Mm-hmm. Like, does it ever say when specifically this is happening? Like what time of year it is that he does this? February, is it still winter? Day. Oh, this February, is yeah. Valentine's Day. Here's my thought on it. What if the people that are calling for this special have erased their minds so many times they still think that it's December and January hasn't come yet. <laughs> they that was what I was thinking the when the they year. kept bringing it up. <laughs> That's funny. So going back to how people like they, they find all their emotions again. I do acting training <laughs> and a lot of it. Um, finding emotions isn't really based on memories alone. It's what your body feels and like how your breath changes when like a certain thing happens. So even if you erase like all the memories of someone, just like the hormones, when you get in contact with them, it will just change your body completely. Like, Mm. cause you can't erase primal instincts through taking out someone's memory. At least that's what I think. Yeah. This kind of goes into whether or not people fall in love, quote unquote, because of their mental connection, or if it is just a chemical, like, pheromone need to reproduce primal kind of thing it's a complicated thing just a powerful thing (laughs) speaking of that we haven't touched on it yet but the patrick subplot and how that interacts scumbag oh yes i love elijah so much (laughs) (laughs) like in um what was it a daddy's boy it was like a horror movie did he's just grimy elijah 
who I haven't seen that one. I saw him in Maniac, where he's a serial killer from first person perspective. I need to remember the actual the Come to Daddy. Oh my lord, he is the grimiest boy. So yeah, I think with the Patrick subplot, one of the big things that jump out at you other than the fact that he is just a complete scumbag is the fact that he is doing a similar path to what someone would do if they were, let's say that you were in a relationship now without the ability to delete your memories. Right. Mm -hmm. And you were having a rocky relationship. Mm -hmm. One of the ways you might try to correct that if you Mm -hmm. were actually in a relationship is to, try and touch base with what used to make you happy. Not just go down a trip down memory lane, but maybe go out and do something. Try and recapture the thing that you used to do that made you guys fall in love in the first place. What we're seeing here is a dark version of that where somebody who is stalking someone else who's like, oh, her unconscious form is so beautiful. I am now in love with her and will steal her clothing and then follow her everywhere. (laughs) She will become my girlfriend. Gross. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to form this relationship without doing any of the actual work mm-hmm. that goes into a relationship and without really connecting with her on a human level. He's just like, mm-hmm. hey, I saw you. You looked beautiful when you were passed out. I'm going to form this relationship with you, which is just the worst. Yeah, yeah he's stealing all of Joel's moves, too. Just, yeah. Yep. You know that advice when like, oh, there's a person over there. I want to go talk to them. What do I do? And people say, just be yourself. And that is the best advice because, I mean, in a long-term form, if you can't be yourself with your supposed uh, partner, who can you be? And like, yeah. If- Tricking someone is not a good way to start a relationship. <laughs> no. no. But all- it is a great way That's to make a musical happen. Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> ooh, if ooh. you speaking of you gonna write a musical from patrick's perspective oh no, 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 no. God, and no. then i stole her panties and now she's gonna be in love with me it's a uh, principal <laughs> principal skinner from uh the simpsons, simpsons. yeah well something also is all of clementine's reactions because the movie's also making a point that it's not necessarily the memories that you have that are going to make a relationship work because he is, he, he is artificially creating these gestures towards Clementine that worked with Joel because she had a connection with Joel that surpassed it. She had that emotional context to it. When Joel has her at the frozen lake, even after all of their memories have been wiped, and they're starting fresh. She's able to have a good time with him, right? She's able to recapture that spark. In reality, when they did that, they also were able to capture that spark because there was a connection there that they loved each other. Elijah Wood's character, Patrick, does the exact same thing. Sets it up the exact same way, like carbon copy. The difference is none of the preamble was there. There's no soul in it. There's no actual connection. It is merely empty. And if you take it, from an empty perspective, I know one way you could see it is, pro- is like, oh, well, you know, this was too much like deja vu and that's why she left. But how would you feel if you didn't really know someone well and they took you to like a frozen lake and while you were lying down said, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm so happy when they barely know you. It's not going well, to happen. And he effect. decided to take her when she was going through this existential crisis. She's like, everything is wrong. I don't feel like I know myself. 
And he's like, oh, well, what if we went to this happy place and let me put these moves on you that this other guy did that you don't yes. know about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And I, re- I like that the plot is there because it really puts in perspective just how important catharsis and working through things are because of the context. The memories themselves don't do anything. It's who you are in the memory that you make at the time and what those memories mean to you later that matters, not necessarily the mechanical movements of... Yeah, putting in the work, not just going through the motions. Exactly. No easy win button. If you hit the easy win to erase your memories or hit the easy win to manipulate somebody, it doesn't work. How about that? (laughs) That's why, like, in the beginning when um, Clementine, like, Joel sees her... um, puts gin in her coffee and then later is like huffing glue on the I train. I think it was a nasal decongestant actually. Yeah. As per <laughs> um, a... It was an allergy thing. Uh, yeah. I've never Although like I, seen the I device. I just saw her like put something in her nose and then go, ooh. <laughs> I, I didn't want to confess this to y'all because it gets sort of refuted later, but I did put in my notes that... Joel takes a day off to go to Mantuck. He meets offbeat substance user Clementine. <laughs> yeah. Like, even though she's like, likes a little drink in the morning, and uh, he still takes a chance on her. And I think that could be the subconscious, again, telling him to, like, this is the girl that you should be with. But also that he doesn't take that as necessarily a turnoff because he'd rather get to know her instead of just, like, the face he originally sees right away. Yeah, I think it's towards the end when they're showing the beginning of their relationship, he finds that impulsiveness and free-spiritedness attractive because when they're sitting there and he's like, oh, somebody who doesn't know how to talk at these normal functions, hey, can I borrow this piece of chicken? And then she just takes it. He's like, you just took it. And it was like it was so intimate, like we were already in this relationship and we had just met. That's what I fell for you. Which just goes to show that the same things that drew him to her in the first place are still going to continue to draw him to her. Exactly. And it's, and the fact is they all, it's not that this never would again. And it's one of the things when you're, if you are trying to mend a relationship, because what this movie is also being is a story of two people trying to fix a relationship of their own. Um, They do it badly, but in the end, you know, when they come to grips, like we're going to try and move through this, this is like a couple having a big fight. And, you know, at the end of your romantic movie, they come back together and it's like, okay, we're going to move forward and try something different. It's a similar concept. But here it's showing that just because you're fighting now, just because you're upset now, doesn't mean the past did not happen. Doesn't mean the things that made you happy won't make you happy again in the future. Because Joel isn't technically a different person. He's the same person. And... Some of those things that he loved about her became flaws later because of his perspective. But you don't need to erase all of your memories to find a different perspective. They get their memories back when they listen to them. And they hear themselves say how horrible these things were. But in a neutral mindset without the emotional baggage, they're like, well, actually, that's not that bad of a thing. I don't think they get their memories back. I think they just are made aware of what happened in the past. Yeah, that's what I mean. Sorry. They don't yeah, get their memories like, back, but they It's talk more like it. reading a book and not feeling it emotionally. <laughs> yeah. But they it's can like, see, like where the emotions lie and mm-hmm. they can see that they're fine now. It can get to that point. But instead, this time, instead of like neglecting it, they can again look at it. Well, yeah, all experience shapes who you are. So you can either learn and grow from it 
or stuff it down and forget, but it's still going to come back to you. I think, again, that's kind of the point of Mm -hmm. what's going on in this movie. One little uh, fun tidbit about this movie. One of the bullies was played by the kid who played Sprite Racer in Speed Racer. The show? The live action movie. Wow. How about that? I thought you were going to tell me. joint. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me, like, that was also the kid who plays King Joffrey. <laughs> like, when we all <laughs> we all went back and we're like, hey, wait, that kid from Batman Begins, is uh, he's, he's King Joffrey. <laughs> Either way, how about that? I mean, and it seems to me that we all agree that the point of this movie is that our experiences make us who we are. And if you shy away from that, you're shying away from yourself and you've sort of destroyed yourself. And what you really should do and what is healthy to do is work through all of your experiences and feel your feelings. And it's not tough. The movie does sort of get heavy sometimes, but I think you'll be better for it. And I think it's beautiful i it there's something about it that feels so uplifting even though that they sort of accept that that they're gonna have troubles and especially like this couple in particular are gonna have troubles in a very unique way where they sort of know what they're going to be annoyed by the other and then when it comes up you're like oh i knew it so that's what it feels like which is sort of funny and sort of sad at the same time. But the fact that they accept that about each other is what really makes the movie. Yeah. I like even after hearing both of their tapes, Joel says, I don't see anything about you that I don't like. Let's still try this. Yeah. It's going to be bad, but let's, it might be better to go through the experience and maybe the good will outweigh the bad, you know? Mm -hmm. And even like, in that uh, situation where the woman is erasing the memory of her dog, she's giving up a lot of the good too. And with a dog, with a good boy, let's be honest, most of it's good. And the pain of losing someone in that way is such a small fraction of the impact that they leave on your life that if you shut out everything, it's very unhealthy, I think. I think the healthiest thing about this movie is how they got to hear how the other person perceives them in those uh, tapes. And they get the option to choose if they want to look at themselves and find if they can like see why the other person perceives them that way and decide if they can change that or if they want to. It's like a severe, or it's like an intense version of couples therapy. Cause that's one of the things you would do. Like, in therapy is like what is something that you like what is something that you don't like and you're supposed to be honest like marriage they couldn't story. help it yeah. yeah well i think the tapes show the flaws of the speaker as well specifically in joel and clementine's case they are speaking from a place of anger that's why they're going through this procedure is they only remember the negative parts that are so present right now i don't believe that they really do think these things deep down they don't really hate these things about each other but they're what is most prevalent you you find reasons to hate people when you're fighting you're having Mm -hmm. bad times you know but it's not maybe how you feel for real you'll just spout off something that maybe you've been thinking about but it comes out a lot more hurtful than you Mm -hmm. mean it to and i think that's 
it's both cathartic to hear it and cathartic to hear yourself say it because they kept saying like, no, I don't think those things about you. And they're like, you will, but you can take that information and process it into constructive instead of negative. Mm -hmm. It's like when someone hurts you and the first thing you like resort to is finding the worst thing to make them feel exactly how you feel right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Negative emotions come in waves. They do. They they have a rise. They also have a fall. And if you're going to have an argument, the important thing to do is maybe sit on it. <laughs> uh, going back to acting for a second, they say never sit down when you're mad because you'll immediately stop being mad for that split second you sit down. Because your mind is preoccupied on the physical act of sitting. It's just you finally sit down. And your body relaxes, and it's just your mind working. Huh. Like as an as an actor, and you're supposed to play angry. Don't sit down, otherwise you. That, won't. and it also works in real life. Like the next time you get mad, sit down. That's why in therapy you're on the couch and you're sitting down. You're not usually standing up. See, I'm always spend my whole That's day my sitting cap. down. Angry. I'm always sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, I would like to talk about Clementine's hair. And how the colors help the audience keep track of the different stages of their relationship and what the different colors represent. So she has four distinct colors throughout the movie. She has Blue Ruin, Agent Orange, Red Menace, and Green Revolution. Those are the different dye colors she mentions. And each of the colors represent the different seasons of their relationship. We'll start at the beginning or the end of the movie for us, where when her hair is green, it represents the spring of their relationship. It it represents beginnings and newness and growth kind of like spring after they meet they get together for real and then she changes her hair to red which represents summer and that represents love the warmth the passion that's when they really fall in love and they have the really the best times and then later she dyes her hair to orange and that's at the fall of their relationship that's when the autumn as it were that's Mm -hmm. when the love is dying it's a fading of red their passion isn't burning as bright they're not talking as much they're having these quiet moments on the couch instead of talking or reliving their day and then blue represents the end the winter where it's you know the sadness the the melancholy the death of their love but blue ruin remember that winter has a purpose it's not just there to kill everything it is there to make way for renewal and rebirth which leads into spring which i saw this thing when they're talking on the train you can see that her roots have grown out quite a bit from the blue which is representing that spring is coming and they're going to begin their relationship anew how do you guys feel about all that? I'd only caught the blue and the orange. But as soon as you said that she has four colors, like, oh, green is the growth. It's so cool. I I definitely agree to that. And I, especially because they, they take, all, take the time to mention the four hair colors that she's going to have in the film. And Chekhov's Law is, like, obviously there. Write that down. But, write that down. That's what Chekhov's but, Law is. Yeah. <laughs> right now, it's going to come back later. <laughs> but one of the one of the things I really like is that in the dream or dream, sorry, in his memories, when her hair is that bright red, when you said it's like the, the vibrant love and the passion, that's when she's her most animated as a character in his memories is when they were in that that stage. So she's like, you know, this is great and all bubbly and happy. Something and it, it's that just red so is different. the true Clementine. Yeah, I, I would think that red probably represents who she is when she's at her happiest, because that's when both of them were at their happiest. Yep, that's when the, they're in the honeymoon. The relationship is bright and new and fresh. They don't have the baggage of time. 
Mm-hmm. Everything is great. Their love has burned the hottest. Nick, you got thoughts? Not, Not really. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I just related her hair to like Ramona Flowers. <laughs> mm. Although hers seem like... more arbitrary. I like that yeah. mm. it also helps you when the memories are being wiped and things start changing and going to different time periods. It explains what's happening in their relationship. You can tell via the hair color. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is when it's about to fall. Or, hey, here's the beginning. And you know what's going on without them having to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere around the 30-minute mark, I was like, oh, okay. Because they're still like playing with the timeline and you're trying to keep things straight. But like, okay, blue, blue is after, red is, red is before. Okay, I got this. The time when the hair really clicked for me is when he said to the doctor how they met. And he talked about how he met at a gathering that David Cross and uh, Jane Adams, the, his friends, brought him to. And I'm like, did he just lie to him? And then it finally gets to the point where she has yellow hair and the meat on the pier on the stairs green. or green. green and it's hair. just like, well, that's like at that point, you probably should know the ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also it's like, like wait, we haven't seen green yet. When is this? <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> Hey, Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst really can <laughs> dance. Apparently that was an ad lib. That they're like, they were hey, dancing? yeah, we're going to get our underwear and dance over over Joel's unconscious body because we're screwing around and we were so numb to this thing. That's what our characters would do. And Michelle Gunder is like, yes, that's great. Do that. Cool. It, it does show how like little this matters to them. That's like they're eating over his unconscious body. Stealing his food and his alcohol. Yeah, at the very end, yeah. Clementine is like, "You have any whiskey?" And then he goes to his drawer. He's like, "Oh, I thought I had more of that." <laughs> Who knows? I did not catch that. That's what I hope my parents thought because they didn't give it a second <laughs> thought in high school. Like, where'd this go? Uh, I don't know. They knew. <laughs> they, they absolutely. Knew. They always no find like, out. Where'd a fifth of whiskey go? <laughs> Nick Salt. <laughs> Over the toilet, <laughs> no way of knowing. I was back by two. Leave me alone. <laughs> I love when the faces get so distorted towards the end. Like when he it goes to like the doctor's you. office the second time while in the dreamscape, they're sort of they look like the thumb people from Spy Kids. They look like the thumb thumbs. <laughs> the thumb thumbs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I read those are based on the director's knees, actually. Really? I was going to say, it looks like heels or... I was thinking like when you bend your thumb back, the like the joint, but knees actually make a lot of sense. So fellas, would you recommend this movie and under what circumstances? Caleb. Oh, bring it to me first. Um, Here's the thing. I want to recommend this movie. And I think I would, but I have no idea under what circumstances. Like, it's, it is a introspective think piece about catharsis and relationships, and it doesn't seem like any sort of, let's sit down and watch this movie. However, if you out there are listening and you haven't seen this and you just want to check it out, of course, go for it. It's just tough to find a situation like, oh, it's Friday night. It's time to watch Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's my Friday night. But it is really good. So, yes, I would. Nick. 
Uh, this is a recommend regardless. This movie was amazing in my opinion. I love this. I don't know if this is a date night movie because it deals a lot with like, you know, like the problems in a relationship, but it can also be like inspiring to like make people like talk instead when next time they get mad. Yeah, it does have that happy ending. But like... Hopeful ending, I guess. Yeah. I think just this is all around the board recommend. The cinematography, the transition shots are amazing. Jim Carrey is spectacular as dramatic. And uh, Mark Ruffalo gets high. So, you know, quite nice. Ravi. I am very happy with this film. I really liked it. I think that it is a great show that really encapsulates the problems with like trying to deny everything, repression, and how it's important to have the catharsis of working through it together. So I think that this is a good watch for almost anybody. It's definitely a trippy film, but yeah, I think this is a fun thing to just watch, especially if you're wanting something that you can really think on. But would you recommend it? And I absolutely would recommend it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously I would recommend this movie because I recommend it to you fellas. It is fantastic. It is a great movie, great cinematography, great acting. People are really giving Jim Carrey all the credit because he's playing against type, but Kate Winslet is always fantastic. She was nominated for an Oscar. The story's great introspective. It's got that hopeful ending. Really just, if you love movies this is a great movie to watch so that was our discussion of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind next week is nick's pick nick what are we watching next week we will be watching hunt for the wilder people (gasps) yo you stole my pick i was gonna choose that let's go (laughs) i I watched it before i watched this movie this week and i was like i was gonna pick scott pilgrim and then like the ramona flower hair with this i was like you know i'd rather do a comedy about a kid who kicks stuff Fair enough. I wanted to do this because I didn't think anyone else would pick it. And I've only seen, I'm, I'm horrible with names, as you know, uh, Taika Waititi. Mm. Just, um, yeah. I've only seen like Thor Ragnarok and uh, Jojo Rabbit. And I wanted to see more of his repertoire before he became like huge. And this was 2016, right before he did Ragnarok. Ragnarok. And before he became like a household name. Cool. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. So feel free to watch that movie and listen along next week. Please follow us on all the social medias. We are Four Film Fellas on Facebook and Instagram. That's F-O-U-R Film Fellas. Thank you for listening and joining us. Like and subscribe. Give us the five stars. We'll talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.